0: Some people know him for his live music photography. Others for his sports photography, like all those Sports Illustrated covers. And then, of course, there's that one image with over 30 million views. I've got a special guest for you today on Behind the Shot. Hi again, welcome back to Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots, from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between, why they make the decisions that they make for any individual shoot. Before we get into our guest today, who is a very, very important special guest for me, this, this one actually means a lot to me, uh, I do need to do a little bit of housekeeping. Since I've left the network that I used to be on and gone out on my own, All the reviews and ratings that you might do in wherever you're getting this podcast, iTunes or Stitcher or, you know, tune in, wherever you're getting it, all the ratings and reviews really do help with discoverability. So I'd appreciate any of those. Also, I've created my own YouTube channel. So please make sure you go and subscribe to that. That always helps too. You can always reach out to me through the website behindtheshot.tv. And for this episode, there will also be a blog post associated with this episode, as I do for all the episodes, that has more of my guest images and more information about my guest, which brings us to the man of the hour, Mr. David Bergman, Canon Explorer of Light. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Steve. It's great to be here with you today. It's really nice to
0: have you on. I, I, I mentioned that this is an important one for me, and there's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, you're my fourth Canon Explorer of Light to have on the show. Uh, can exp- explain Canon Explorer of Lights to people who don't understand.
1: Um, You know, what? it's a program started by Canon 20 plus years ago. And it's just one of those things where they recognize, you know, photographers who've had an impact in the industry. And it's sort of one of those things you can't really apply for. They pretty much have to come to you. And this is my, I think it's my third, third or fourth year now as an explorer. And it really, to me, when they came to me, it was it was such an honor. It was like a lifetime achievement award for me. And, and maybe I'm just getting old, but it, uh, yeah. it really felt like that in a way.
0: And there's not many of you. There's only 50 something. I think now it yeah, used to be I like 45.
1: Never, yeah. I think it's in the, in the low forties actually. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a small, a small group of us.
0: And, and I've had Rick Salmon on, I've had Ken Sklood on, I've had Jack Resnicki on, Jack and Ed Greenberg are going to be on again coming up. Probably I'm hoping in October, uh, we're recording this actually in September. So, photography wise the reason this one meant a lot to me and we talked in the green green room a little bit but your your style of photography you're one of those guys who doesn't really specialize in anything and yet manages to somehow be really good at all of them you're a portrait photographer and some of your celebrity portraits are, are I mean really honestly shockingly good you're a sports photographer you've got uh what, 13 Sports Illustrated covers so far. You've done the Olympics, Super Bowls, what else? Uh, NBA championships, World Series, Stanley. The list goes on and on sports-wise, celebrity-wise. And in my world, I'm a live music photographer. You're kind of a legend. You are the tour photographer for Bon Jovi. Uh, Who else have you worked with music-wise, by the way?
1: Yeah, I've toured with some other bands, uh, Bon Jovi obviously being the biggest, but uh, Barenaked Ladies I toured on and off with for many years, um, I've worked with, you know, Gloria Stefan and Avril Levine and Sarah McLaughlin, and I did the Lilith Fair and, you know, those kinds of things. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty fun gig if you can get it.
0: But you've been with Bon Jovi now since 2010?
1: 10. Yeah. It's been eight years now.
0: And it's solid. I mean, every show he does, you're there.
1: Um, you know, recently we've been tapering a little bit, but, uh, for the most part uh, from 2010 until maybe last year. I had done every show. It's something like 300 shows by now, I think.
0: Okay, so here's, here's the, I mentioned this image in the intro. There's an image of yours that has over 30 million views, and it's an interesting concept. It's something called GigaPan, and it was the first Obama inaugurational speech. And I will have a link for this, by the way, in the blog post. So go to BehindTheShot.tv and find David's episode. And seriously, you got to see this thing. Explain GigaPan and explain how you ended up doing that.
1: So GigaPan itself is a brand name, but uh, basically what it is, it's a gigapixel image. So it's a very high-resolution picture, and it's made by, you know how you can already take two overlapping images and stitch them together? Well, the GigaPan hardware is a is a robotic camera mount you can put your camera into, and that will allow you, it sort of um, uh, helps you with the movement of the camera so it's more consistent, and it allows you to actually shoot hundreds or thousands, if you want, of photos and uh, overlapping photos, and then stitch those together. So the Obama one, I literally had never used uh, the GigaPan before. It was a brand new system at the time. This was way back in 2009. And I was covering the inauguration, and I I knew I wanted to do something else a little bit different than what everybody else was doing. And I researched as much as I could, and I I called up the GigaPan people, and I said, hey, you know, I've seen this used uh, for landscapes has it ever been used where there are people? Because I'm doing the inauguration, there's going to be a lot of people. And they were like, nope, not really. But, you know, we'll send you a loaner if you want to try it out. I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So I took it to the inauguration. And sure enough, um, it was this perfect storm of, you know, that event at that time. And our lives was sort of the, the bit, one of the biggest events of the, t- of the time. And there were 2 million people there. And it was new technology. And I was the only one to do it. So, uh, yeah, it pretty much went crazy. And basically, the net result is, it looks like a single picture, but you can zoom in really tight and you can see every face in the crowd. You can see,
0: I mean, you can read things that are written on people's shirts.
1: Yeah, you're going to have to read the, you're a music guy. You're going to have to read the sheet music from the band that's playing right below Obama's Okay, now I
0: got to go back.
1: I got to go back. So
0: what's fascinating about that to me is you called them. It wasn't like they came to you. You just went, hey, I'm willing to do this if you happen to have an extra setup. And they went, sure.
1: You know, it's something I've always done. And this is a perfect example of it is, um, and I, I've talked about this a lot, but basically when I'm going to cover something, I need to have a reason to be there, right? There are, I knew there were going to be 500 of the world's best photographers there. And I'm not going to be able to compete with those guys. I'm not a Washington insider. I've never shot an inauguration before. I knew, you know, and even the position I was assigned was on the, the wrong side of the president. I was going to have you know the back of his head when he held up his hand to do the um the to do the inaugural. So um, that's the picture everybody says they want. So I had to make something different, and and I thought about it a lot, and I said, what's the the next most important thing? The first being obviously that it was the first African American president in this country's history. That was a big story, but the next part of that story is that there were going to be two. Million people there. I mean, that's an insane. I've been to a lot of big events. I've never seen two million people in yeah, one. Yeah, kind of blows event. a
0: concert out of the water.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's amazing. So I wanted to document that in that that in some way. So I I researched different like 180 degree lenses and all kinds of weird moving lenses and things like that. And I, I came across this new small company called GigaPan and and I called them up and they they were nice enough and and maybe they had the foresight to send me a loaner unit. And uh, and I guess it worked out pretty well.
0: See, but kind of, I mean, isn't that really kind of how some of the greatest photographs, I mean, okay, some of them people stumble on, but a lot of the greatest photographs, these aren't accidents that somebody grabbed a camera and did something, right? It required research and planning, and not only that, but inserting yourself with your own, you know, kind of uh, 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 intent into the situation that's gonna get you the shot That'll make you stand out. That's really what it is.
1: I do that a lot. I insert myself. That's a good way to put it. Uh, I mean, I've I've worked with even with bands that I've worked with for years. So, like Bon Jovi, for example, um, John was he injured himself at a concert, and uh, it wasn't a anything that he did at that concert. But he tore the meniscus in his knee tore during a show, and over the next few weeks he was rehabbing it. And you know, by this time we had a bit of a relationship. It was we were about a year into into my tenure, and uh, he was talking about having surgery. And so one night I was, you know, we were at dinner and I was sitting across from him and I said, I looked at him and I kind of smiled. I said, John, you know, I have to be in the operating room when you have surgery, you know, right? I mean, this is not not something he would have thought of and said, Dave, I really want you in the, nobody would do that. But you know, I, I've been known to be, I'm going to call it persistent. (laughs) Um, other people might call it being a pain in the butt, but, uh, you know, I, when I know there's something I want, I'm going to push for it. So, so I brought that up and he basically, you know, kind of smirked and said, you know, if it's okay with the hospital, then it's okay with me. So, of course, then we called the hospital and said, Mr. Bon Jovi would like his photographer in the operating room. And they said, of course, no problem. They That's did? <laughs> of course they did. They, they're not going to say no to John Bon Jovi, right? So, wow. um, yeah, so sure enough, when he was... Actually, under anesthesia in the operating room, I was in the room with the doctors taking pictures. So, oh, I um, would—that's
0: amazing. Is that related to that one image where he's sitting on the table with the bandages on his knee?
1: It is. That was well. That was the night that he that he was injured, and even that was sort of the first time I had dealt with a real uh, a real moment of something happening. You know, I mean, there's the concert and there's the fun stuff, and then this was possibly really serious. I mean, we didn't know if it was going to be the end of his career, how bad it was, and you know, the rest of the band all went back to the hotel, you know, management, sent everybody back. They put them in the cars and set them back. And John stayed there with his um, doctor and we had, you know, they sent you go home, you go home. And they looked at me and they said, you stay, you know, everybody else go, go, go. I was like, okay. So I just stayed in the room was as quiet as I could. And I just documented everything. It was really somber and quiet. And you know, it was a, it was a big deal at that moment. And so, um, but again, that was over time of developing that relationship where, you know, John Bon Jovi, luckily, is the kind of guy who gets it. And he understands the value in documenting this. He knows he has a crazy life that most right. people can only, right. you know, dream of. And so to document that, and and even the pictures, he, he, when he was in the hospital, one of the nurses asked, what are you going to do with all these pictures? And he said, "Ah, oh, they'll do a book after I'm dead. You know, he, he really never thought they would be published. But he was smart enough to know, you just shoot them. And then he told me later, he said, when we actually did a photo book a coffee table book and i convinced him to let us use those pictures but when he came around he said you know what if it inspires one kid to work through the pain and you know by seeing me do it and then come out the other end stronger and better for it then it's worth it that's so some, he was yeah that's waiting. somebody who gets it so he gets it yeah you know? that's so a dream
0: client. your work you've been published in name magazine here <laughs> literally
1: Rolling Stone,
0: Time, Time, Newsweek, USA Today, people. I'm reading off a list here because I wrote them all down. There's too many. Kerrang! People, New York Times. Um, But one of the things, there's two things that you do I'm fascinated with. And to the viewers, I promise, we are going to get to the shot. And it's it's (laughs) really kind of a cool, unique shot that we're going to talk about today. But you've just got such a wealth of of history and information. I really want to get into that. You do a show for Adorama TV, Adorama TV store camera store a lot of people buy through in in new york uh adorama in fact my 5d mark 4 i bought through adorama um you do a show called two minute tips with david bergman now if people have not seen this show it's two minute tips but it's not like fluff right i don't know where you get your ideas for this but magically every episode is like really it every episode has a moment in it of how is it possible there's that many two minute tips I don't know and I do photography.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun doing this show. I just started it. uh Gosh, it's been about two and a half years now. But there's one every week, so yeah, it's been one hundred and thirty, hundred. I think we just shot number one forty or something like that. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess when I started, I thought oh, I'll do this for a year or so. It'll be a fun thing to do, and I'm still going and. Yeah. Sometimes I have to really sit down and, and, and rack my brain a little bit, but you know what? Photography is one of those things where we're always learning. All of us are always learning. I mean, I I watch videos. I learn new things all the time as well. So um, what I want that show to be, and I think I'm successful some of the time is just those little tips that help out, right? Like one of my favorite things is like, you know, when you take your lens cap off and you take the, the, the body cap and the back cap on the lens, and you screw them together, and they fit perfectly together. And then you can throw them in your bag so you don't get dust in your sensor when you put them back on, right, right? if you throw a loose cap. So those kinds of little things that maybe even somebody who's been shooting for a while just never thought of. And actually, one of my greatest moments was I did this live at uh, PhotoPlus Expo. I think it was last year. And I did this live two-minute tips. I did top 20 two-minute tips live on stage, which was a bit crazy. I had 40 minutes to do 20 two-minute tips. And, um, uh, when I talked about that one, about the cap, a guy in the third row, I'm looking straight at him and he, and and I did that and he goes like this, he goes, (laughs) I was like that's the reaction I wanted. Like somebody just go, why didn't I think of that? That makes sense.
0: It's that thing where, you know, you only, you only know to teach yourself what you need at the moment. Right. right? And there's a ton of things that you don't come across yet. And why wait to learn them until you realize, oops, I had a gunk inside the lid and put it over my sensor. Um, yeah. Let's talk real quick I'm about your...
1: I guess I've been doing this long enough, that you've come across a lot of those over the years. Exactly.
0: So you, yeah. you are affiliated with a lot of people. Apple, Canon, Best Buy, Columbia University. You've spoken for all of them. You're a Canon Explorer of Light, we mentioned. Red River Pro. Uh, Adorama Pix Ambassador, makes sense. Think Tank Photo, Design Board, thank you. Nothing okay. but Think Tank sitting here to my right. Um, I, I wear a belt. I, yeah, long story. Uh, Charter but, member of the Apple Aperture Advisory Board, so I have to bring up before we bring up the shot, then we'll get into it. I listened to you on another friend of mine does a, a music photography specific podcast called How to Become a Rockstar Photographer, Matthias Hombauer out of Austria. Uh, great guy, good music photographer too. But on his show, you mentioned, which was a program I loved, but I did move. You still use Aperture?
1: So, uh, up until literally about a month ago, I was still using Aperture exclusively. It still works, right? I'm using whatever is iSierra. I love that program. Not just because I was involved in it in the early stages, but I just found it to be other than the camera manufacturers softwares, which, which literally is the best raw conversion, not always the greatest user interface, but the greatest raw conversions because it's made by the camera manufacturers. Other than that, I find it to be the best raw converter, the best, um, uh, program for, it's got everything I need in it. I've used it for years. I love it. Yes. I, I was kind of holding on till, you know, they pried out of my cold dead hands. However, Uh-oh. I do. I mean, I know the writing is on the wall, so I, I kind of felt like it was time to start moving away from the mothership. And, uh, I've been using capture one for the last month or so phase one's program. Um, I like it It's this, you know, I'm still learning it. I'm not as fast with it as I am with Aperture. Um, I'm trying not to, you know, use the crutch of going back into Aperture when I get frustrated. So I'm forcing myself to use it. Um, and I really like it. I mean, it's, it's as close to Aperture as I've seen. Um, honestly, I'm not a big Lightroom fan. I mean, I, of course, I have Photoshop. I use Photoshop, you know, for whenever I need to. But the more I can do in my raw conversion software, the better. And so, um, uh, yeah, so I, I am I am still holding on. You're, hope
0: you're echoing what so many like. I use Lightroom when I move from Aperture, I move to Lightroom, and I'm I'm what I call a reluctant Lightroom user to the uh, point where are. I have gone. I use uh, photo mechanic for culling because it's so freaking quick.
1: Yes, and, I do. And mechanical.
0: if I could do it at all in photo mechanic to the level that I really want, I would because
1: so, so, uh, really, I use photo mechanic. When I was a newspaper photographer in the early 90s, like version one or whatever that was. So I I, even using Capture One, Aperture, whatever it is, the only files I'm bringing into those programs are my final edits, the final images that I have to tone. I don't bring thousands of photos in there. I'll bring 30 or 40 in. And that's it. And you call in Photo Mechanic, you said? Photo Mechanic. All Photo Mechanic. Yeah, Yeah. I probably spend more time in Photo Mechanic than I do in any other program absolutely
0: yeah a couple friends of mine have moved to capture one and keep saying you need to try it you need to try it well i'm so frustrated with lightroom right now that it it could happen anytime so to the viewers
1: thank you just let me just let me get this out there i mean i i do love adobe adobe as a company they make some great stuff and photoshop obviously is the industry standard i use it lightroom you know i've never had to use it full time but you know everybody i know who uses it just isn't happy hopefully they'll redesign it one day and it'll move faster that's
0: my hope because you brought up a good point photoshop's a great program still premiere great program Mm -hmm. uh i love camera raw camera raw as an interface is fantastic absolutely Absolutely. it's just the wrapper is really what's wrong for me um so to the viewers again thank you but i'm 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 geeking out here uh let's get into this image because this image when i when i was going to have you on my original thought was, it's David Bergman. I I need to do, I'm a music photographer. I need to do a Bon Jovi shot. But then I thought, you know, no, that's predictable. Let's go some other way. And this particular image that we're going to bring up, um, to me, really kind of accentuates a mixture of everything. It's got a rock star type feel to it. It's a portrait. It's a It's a commercial shot. But it's all the things that make kind of kind of photography cool you know what i mean so this image which is a, a girl in a, for those that are listening we have an audio feed and a video feed listening on on audio it's it's a girl laying on her back in a swimming pool with her hands behind her head looking straight at the camera uh her bathing suit is an american flag there's an american flag reflecting in her goggles and there's so much about this shot that i love it, this was not one of your olympic shots right this is an ad campaign shot
1: Nope. This was, uh, this was actually the release of the Canon Pro 1000 printer. And they had actually a really cool event. They brought in myself, uh, Joel Grimes, and Lindsay Adler in New York City to a studio space. So it wasn't even a studio space. It was like a big warehouse. And they gave us each like a subdivided section. And we basically created pictures for two days. We had 10 different shoots to do. And then the end of the second day, they had a public event where people came in they got to watch us shoot they got to shoot some stuff themselves and they were making prints with the new printer and then hanging them up like an art gallery so we had so it was cool because each of us obviously we have our own unique style so Lindsay did her thing and she's known for joel did his look and i did all athletes so i had we had casted a bunch of athletes and i did a basketball player and i did a, a football player and and this was the swimmer so you the, did the this in a live it, event this was at a live event uh, that particular shoot was not during the during the, the public event but uh, but this was all done. we literally had 2 days to do 10 unique commercial portraits and it was it was a bit of uh, a bit grueling so they had to they had to yell at us to keep on schedule as we were going along
0: so let let's for the for the tech geeks out there cuz there's always somebody that wants to know exif data even though they can't literally replicate it it's a starting point for them right it's it's a way for them to kind of reverse engineer how did he do this Um, Manual exposure, uh, 1 125th of a second, F56, ISO 125 at 140 millimeter. And the 140 millimeter, when I saw that, made me go, huh? Because you're shooting, it looks like straight, she's in water. She's not standing up, right? Unless you could get water to stick against a wall. She's laying down. You're over her somehow far enough away to shoot at 140 millimeters?
1: Yeah. So the way we did this was, first of all, the funniest part of this was, again, I show up and they think, you know, all the, we had stylists and art directors and casting people and, and I, and everybody's pretty simple for the most part. And I come in and I go, all right, well, I've got a swimmer, so we got to get some water in here. (laughs) Oh, you (laughs) had not
0: planned that in advance?
1: This was not planned. No, this was maybe, you know, the first morning when I sort of looked through everything and said, you know, because I mean, I was going to do maybe a portrait up against a wall or something else like that. And I said, you know, what, I got to have water. So I sent out one of the prop people to buy a kiddie pool, one of those little blow up kiddie pools. And we're in a space that, you know, we don't really want to get water everywhere. And so, um, <laughs> so we brought they actually brought in a blow up kiddie pool and we filled it with water. We had to like bring buckets of water from the sink to fill up this thing as best we could. This was like, I mean, if you saw the how we made this happen, you would say, this guy has no idea what he's doing. But all that matters, I guess, is the picture at the end of the day. So, um, And then, yeah, to, I knew I wanted to shoot down. So to get up over her, I got the tallest ladder we had, which was like a 12-foot, it was a very, very high ladder. Um, and we had lots of sandbags and lots of people holding down the base of it. And then I literally was at the very top of that thing. Even though it says, back.
0: this is not a step
1: that's the one that's the one I was on yes do not step here or you will die that's the one um and yeah I was at the very very top of that ladder looking as straight down as I could possibly uh do it from that angle
0: so uh this was shot with a canon 5ds r yep so high resolution with a 70 to 200 2.8 mark II, which is in my opinion I still use a mark 1 I think the mark II, though is one of the sharpest lenses on the planet yeah um and this, again, as you said, this was for the Prograph Pro 1000 ad campaign. Yep. One of the questions I had actually was, was this your original concept? And clearly not. But since you're <laughs> shooting this at a Canon thing before the public event, but it's going to be used as an ad campaign. This is where it gets interesting to me. Not doing commercial photography myself. Is there, is there an art director from Canon standing there going, no, I don't want that? giving input at all? Or is it literally, David, do what you want, run with it?
1: Yeah, it was the latter. I mean, that the reason they brought in Lindsay, Joel, and me was because they wanted us to do our thing. So, I mean, we had had some conversations ahead of time. Obviously, these things don't just come together last second. So we had had co- many conversations on the phone and over email. And so, you know, just deciding what sports we, I wanted to do, and, you know, because they had to cast models and and all of that, and they would send me sending me pictures of the models and to make decisions on casting. And um, so there were discussions ahead of time, but when I got there, it really was up to me. And actually, funny aside is one of the other ones I wanted to do was a golfer. And again, you know, originally I thought, oh, I'll just have her, you know, sort of hold the club over her, you know, shoulders like a baseball bat or something, and we'll just do something fun. And then I got there, I said, I got to make this better than that. It's that's too boring. So I said, let's have her like hitting out of a sand trap with dirt flying. <laughs> and they this was they couldn't believe it and and i just you know again like we were talking before i just pushed and i pushed you know they, they there was resistance at first we're indoors we're in a space there are other photographers shooting there's there are printers all over that they're setting up and these are they hadn't been released yet these are brand new pro 1000 printers and i said let's bring some dirt in so we sort of built this turf and had a little pile of dirt that we put behind her. And then this, this poor girl, very sweet golfer. And she really does play golf. Had to swing into this, you know, unnaturally hard dirt. And I wanted it flying up and I had to get the ball popping out. I mean, when you're shooting actual real golf and somebody's hitting out of a trap, that's what you want. You want the sand flying and the ball Right. right there. So, so she would hit this thing and the dirt would go flying everywhere. And, Canon didn't want to tell me what it was happening, but later they did come to me and say, um, "So one of the printers you kind of destroyed it because dirt got in there, and so we had to uh, we had to retire that one." So sorry, Canon, but one of their printers uh, got killed. By See, but this
0: dirt. is so, what we talked about. You 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 know at the beginning, it is all about the shot, right? And it and it's about having the vision. I think what a lot of times happens is. People want to know how great photographers get their vision, how they see the things that they see. And I think in some ways, the amateurs, for example, or or whatever you want to call that that class that's not making money at it, um they may have the vision. They just don't have the confidence to go out and say, no, I want to do this. And so that's a key distinction here is you've got to, you've got if you have the vision, you gotta say it. And you may try it and it may fail. But that's okay if you tried it. But you did you did some other interesting things on this. So five six, one twenty-fifth of a second, hundred and forty millimeters. I get the hundred and forty millimeters now, and it helped blur the back of that pool. Uh, but five six, you wanted enough of her. I'm guessing you didn't just want eyes and nose blurry. You wanted enough of the the depth of the face.
1: Yeah, I think two eight would have been too risky, considering I was sort of hovering over her on a ladder that probably wasn't very stable, and you know I, I had some concerns there about making sure because I don't want to have the perfect shot and then you know she's back focused on her ear or something. Right, so, right, right. Um, me enough depth so that I don't have to worry about it too much.
0: So one of the things I said because this is a commercial shot, I don't know. Did they tell you that they're going to use this a certain way with text? Because one of the things I said to you in the green room, I noticed something. I may have said it after the green room. I even forget now. Um, there was something, though, that struck me about a lot of your work. You do a lot of tight crops in your work. And the crop on this, to me, is really a huge part of what makes this image, right? The fact that the, tip, the tips of her elbows are cropped off, the top of her head is cropped off, where she's, where she's cropped on the chest... That that makes that window for me to look through. You do that a lot. Is that conscious or is it just kind of what you see in your head?
1: I mean, cropping in general is very conscious with me. Sometimes it's in post, sometimes it's during the shoot. Um, but I am really aware of the crop. I'll spend you know minutes and you know just going like this, like this, like this, like this. You know, an inch this way, an inch that Yeah, totally. And it it makes a difference, right? If you really take the time to look at it, I think, oh, a half an inch isn't going to make a difference. But it does. Where where it moves your eye really makes a difference. Um, I think cropping in general probably comes from my days as a newspaper photographer. In the 90s, I worked at the Miami Herald. And for the most part, you know, you've got a two-column hole or a three-column hole in the paper. You're not doing these grim designs like a Sports Illustrated opening spread. If this is just like, the play of the game and it's the guy catching the ball and it just grabs your attention really quick. And then the headline over it doesn't, you know, it doesn't run through the image. It's above the image. So actually when I did start working for sports illustrated, there was an adjustment period there. And I remember the the former director of photography, Steve fine telling me like, you got to loosen up a little bit because they did often run type over the text. So, um, uh, you know, in that case I had to shoot, these more sort of grand tableau type photos that they like as the openers with the whole stadium and the whole thing. But when I'm, you know, given my own, left to my own devices, I think, and in this case also, the eyes were really important because I knew we were going to do that reflection. So uh, I think if you're too loose, then you don't you don't go right to that reflection because that's really, was the most important part of that. photo. Well, and there's there. another so, thing actually
0: about this that's fun. common to your shots. Um, a lot of your shots have symmetry to them right you're you don't you're one of the few live music photographers and and I find myself try to do it and it comes out looking like I don't understand composition I go I tend to go rule of thirds you're one of the few live music photographers for example that has the ability to to uh center a subject in a frame and just have the symmetry of it work and a lot of your work is that way I've I've got a an image in here queued up. I'm just going to bring up even though it's not it, the one of of Bon Jovi walking down the stairs. Um that's a great example of of symmetry. The Steven Tyler shot of Steven Tyler at, at the table is another one where his head is is centered. He's coming offside. The Drew Carey one with Drew Carey in the middle at a craps table, which I think is at Luxor, I think I saw in the in, in the it title is, of that actually, show. Good call. Good call. Um, yeah. You know, I just pulled up the Torino shot of the bobsled, which is, I love the color of that image. And then the runner over the New York City skyline, dead centered. You seem to do that an awful lot and it really works for you. When when you are doing a shot like the one we're talking about today and you're thinking of your composition, you said that you knew that you were going to do the reflection. Was that reflection live or in post?
1: Oh yeah, that is all live. How Actually, did you do that's that? That's what took us the long. Yeah, after we figured out sort of the height and the ladder and all of that, or the pool and all of that stuff, then it was all about the reflection. And I remember again, like even my own assistants—I had a couple of assistants with me—were kind of fighting me out of it. Oh, because the trick with that is you have to get that flag. We had a real flag that we were holding that they were holding, and you have to get it in really close. And it's—it's it's a balancing act of close enough so that it fills her goggles. Cause if it's too far away, it'll just be like a strip or it won't really fill the goggles. Right. Um, but obviously if it's too close, it's going to block the frame. So the hardest part of that was getting the, just the right angle and it's frustrating when you're doing it. But again, it's one of those things, like you said before, you got to just keep calm, keep pushing to make sure that you get it the way you want it. And I, and I was like, you know, let's just keep doing it. How so we close get is it. it? And, I mean, it's probably, a foot or two i mean it's really? it's really close yeah it has to be that close those goggles are like wide angle lenses so you can see a huge amount of the, the you know the frame in those goggles so Did because you the way know
0: as you were doing it because because here's what makes it work the stars are on the left and the stripes are on the right and again for those listening on audio her eye is visible through the red stripe my yeah, God, that man!
1: I, <laughs> that part, I don't know that I knew. Maybe we, maybe that's the frame I, you know, I picked out of them, but, uh, but having the flag facing the right direction. And that was, that was conscious. I mean, that's, that's just a matter of sticking with it till you get it where you want it to go. I, I knew I wanted that reflection in there. So again, we, when I sent them out to get a kiddie pool, I sent them out, you know, to get a flag as well. So, um, the biggest one we could find, it probably wasn't more than or five feet. I don't think it was a massive flag. So unless you have a huge flag like that, you really have to get it in close. So I I'm sure it's immediately outside of the frame. It's it's that may be another reason I was shooting so tight because you zoom out at all and you'd see the flag there. Oh, so, good point um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's probably was, that probably was part of that, but now, I would, I'd like to think I would have shot it that way. I just anyway. thought
0: of this and this one isn't in my notes, but I just thought about it. She, she, her look, it's a straight face but there's a little bit almost of a smile or a smirk, but not, did you, did you, do you coach your models like this? Or when you're doing a Steven Tyler, do you coach them? What, what would you might, maybe might have told this young lady?
1: Yeah, it depends who it is. Obviously. I mean, Steven Tyler that night that I did the Steven Tyler picture, I was photographing, I had a portrait booth set up backstage at the, it was a hurricane Sandy telethon at NBC and I was backstage. And so every one of the artists that I could basically convince to come back and shoot I did. So Billy Joel and Whoopi Goldberg and John Stewart and some just really amazing people. And most of the time, what I would do is uh, I had like a minute to walk down the hallway with them till we got to the, to my little booth that I had set up and I would talk to them, you know, and just be human. And, you know, that was my time to really get this up because I knew once I got them there, I'd only have a minute or so, if even that. So I didn't want to hold them there for very long. So that's a that's kind of a different situation. Steven Tyler was the exception because he is insanely fun and cool and he basically every frame just went nuts for me so that was probably the easiest one of the batch. I didn't have to pull anything out of him. He just, he's kind of a natural ham and he enjoys it and he gets it. So, um, so that was really fun. This girl, uh, the swimmer, I do remember that water was pretty cold. <laughs> so uh, I was feeling a little guilty but you know, I apologize. I warned her as best I could So just hang in there with me. It's going to be worth it, you know? And so I think I was probably, usually I'll just crack jokes and I'll just keep talking. So I'm sure I was laughing about the cold. I'm sure I was, you know, telling her she was going to have pneumonia for a week afterward or whatever it was to keep her from thinking about how cold she really was.
0: It's, it's um, more making them realistically comfortable, not fake comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm not going to blow smoke.
0: Do you, you know, shoot a blow, shot like but. this tethered?
1: Uh, this one was, I normally don't shoot tethered. I don't like to be tethered. Um, in this case, uh, we were tethered because this was this big commercial shoot and we were actually making little work prints as we went along. And so um, I had a digital tech there. And so this one was tethered. I normally don't like to shoot tethered. I'll do it in a workshop environment. I'll do it, you know, when it's necessary. But I, I like freedom to be able to move around. I don't shoot on a tripod very often unless I'm doing a long exposure or like that. I like to be able to move around. Again, maybe that's my old photojournalism days that right. I just – I don't like to be pulled down uh, in any way. And so, a tether to me feels like I'm stuck.
0: So on this image, there, there's a couple of final questions I've got post-wise, right? First of all, there's a fashion field to this. I'm curious what your normal workflow is from – you know, ingesting. I know now that you use photo mechanic for culling and on this image, probably it was aperture since you just recently changed. But uh-huh. forgetting the specifics so much, do you do on a shot like this? Do you go in like a fashion photographer and, and do some skin patching and smoothing and and what's your workflow? So you come in, let's say, with, you know, 800 images from a show, 4,000 images from a show. Do Are you using star ratings to cull it down? How long does that take you to call down to your picks? How long do you spend editing an image?
1: So there's a few questions in there, but I, but obviously it depends on the shoot. So I'll give you the extreme example is a concert, right? I'm, I'm a pretty heavy shooter. I shoot concerts. Like I shoot sports where I lay on the motor drive. I shoot a lot of frames, you know, when the artist runs across the stage, I shoot a burst at, you know, however many frames a second I can get. So, um, so I may have, and I set up remote cameras, I do all kinds of things. I have a lot of frames. At the end of a typical bon, jo- bon Jovi show, I might have three or four thousand images from handheld cameras and then another two thousand from a remote. Wow. So um yeah, it's it the, the toughest part of that job is the stuff people don't see. And that's I'm basically shooting until the artist goes to bed. Right. So, you know, after the show, maybe there's a dinner afterward, and then you know, everybody stays up and talks for a bit, and then at one a.m. or two a.m. They go to bed. Then I start editing. <laughs> so, because I can't do it until that point because I'm, I'm shooting the whole time. So I might have, you know, five, 6,000 images and I will photo mechanic. I'll go through those. What I do is I do multiple passes. It's kind of like, um, are you using like star order, ratings or colors? Uh, so I actually don't use either. I actually use, uh, when I'm doing my initial culling, I use the tag key and photo mechanic. Okay. So I have one finger on the T and the other two fingers on the arrows. And I will go through and, and arrow through as fast as I can. If I see my first pass, it's like water filtration. It's like multiple passes, and each time, each time the pool gets a little bit smaller. So um, I'll go through those six thousand images, and maybe my first pass, I'll get it down to about eight hundred tagged images. Then I will take those eight hundred tags and in a new folder because I want to have the original untouched take someplace. So that's always going to be there. Now I have my first edit, as I call it um of 800 images then i will go through those again and those i can usually get down to under 100 right maybe i get it down to 80 or 60 whatever and then those go into my raw finals folder so and then those are the image images i'll bring into my raw converter aperture for many years and now capture one so those are the only files that'll go in there now when i so i'm only using the tag key like i said when i go into the raw first edit I'll then tag all those and start over again. So then I can just tag as I go. Um, the advantage of that, I think, is that I will always have access to that Raw Finals and Raw First Edit. When I go back, if I, you know, get this happens all the time, an artist might say, oh, we need a picture for this ad or whatever from that particular show or whatever it is. I don't want to go through the whole editing. Game. Right. So I can just go to my Raw Finals. Or if I have to expand that, I can go to my First Edit. And see a bigger take. And I know all of those pictures are decent, but they're not the whole entire take, which I still always keep. So anyway, then I'll bring those in. Then I do use the star ratings inside Africa and now capture one. So so I'll go through and I'll do like something that is just an email photo of you know, somebody backstage with a friend or something, that's a one star. And then like a regular concert photo will be a two star. A really great concert photo will be a three. And, you know, and I'll have the occasional four. I don't give out five stars. It's like above and beyond right, anything, right. you know. To do. So, so then I will have that star rating within the uh, Raw Converter program. So I can obviously always access that as well.
0: So. With so your, that's
1: that's for a concert, right? That's a lot different than yeah. A but shoot it kind of gives people your workflow, though. A couple hundred frames, right? I, I mean, it's the same with a shoot like this with the swimmer. You know, I probably shot a couple hundred frames. It's a bit easier of an edit. Obviously, I don't have maybe I don't have to do a raw first edit. Maybe I can just go through and pick you know the five or ten best images and then pull the one that I think is going to be the shot. Um, this was a bit unique because we were actually doing it live. So we had to produce that file on site so that they could start printing it to hang up in the gallery. Wow! Now the version you're looking at, the version you're looking at, I went back and I redid it myself. I took my time on my calibrated monitor and I was able to really work on it a little more closely as far as retouching and things. I, you know, an image like this, maybe a little bit more retouching than a typical image, a concert photo. I don't do any retouching. There's, There's none necessary. And it's just, it's just, not something that's appropriate in that kind of, a, you know, a, a journalistic photo or a concert or a sports photo. There's really no skin retouching or anything like that. Right. Um, a picture like this, maybe here and there, um, you know, I'm not, it's not something I do very often. Actually this picture, it always kind of bothered me a little bit because we had a, um, a swim cap on her for a while. And then she took it off at the end and you can actually see the lines in her forehead from that skin cap. If we had had more time, yeah, look closely. You can see him there. A little bit more time um, to have that sort of worn wear off of her, I would have been a little happier. I probably could have retouched that, but I just thought it was—it's part of what what was there. See, so to I, me, yeah, th- th-
0: this it. image that that image is everything I would want out of an image, right? It's got all it's got all those little details, like we talked about when we talked about the two minute tips. It's got all the little the little details here and there that elevate it to that next level. You've got so much experience with the two minute tips. I'm curious, if you were to give to an aspiring photographer of any genre, right? Photojournalism, portraiture, whatever. What's your number one photo tip? You got a catalog to pull from.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough one. That's like picking from your children. Um, You know what? This is going to sound weird, but but, uh, honestly, if I was just getting into this business look, you're always going to be, as we said before, you're always going to be improving as a photographer. You're always going to learn new techniques. You're always going to, there's plenty of YouTube videos out there. There's all kinds of things you can learn. Honestly, if you want to make a living in this business, then you need to know how to run a business. I, I wish I had taken more business classes when I was just starting out. I mean, I've had to learn it as I go and it's been a struggle at times, but you know, I'm, I've gotten better at it. But But I think it's easier to be a great business person and an average photographer than a great photographer and a bad business person. Right. So you know, look this these these Canon campaign that doesn't come unless I know how to do business with them, right? So um, doesn't matter how good a photographer you are if you don't know how to if you can't afford to go out and take pictures, then you're never going to make a living. Now, of course, I'm talking about people who actually want to make a living. Just as a you know amateur photographer, if it's a hobby or something, then that's great. Don't worry about it, but but you know it's tough to make a living as a photographer as as you know so being able to run a business and really treat it like a business and knowing what it costs you to walk out of the house and be able to turn down jobs because they just don't pay enough or you know it's they want it for free is i think the most important thing you can do as an aspiring professional photographer
0: good tip so to the viewers <clears throat> there will be a blog post associated with this episode. And in it, I will have links to David's Adorama TV show, the, the two-minute uh, tips with David Bergman. And then I'll also have links to something else. You do live music photography workshops. I wish. I actually looked them up a while ago. Um, I, I, uh, I can only imagine. Uh, if you're interested in live music photography this is the guy probably that you want to learn from. So I will have links to that. I will also have links to, to all of your website and social media stuff. What's your website so that everybody knows if you want to give it out and spell it for them?
1: Sure, yeah, my, my primary website is just my name, davidbergman.net. So unfortunately, I'm a .net. The David Bergman who has the .com is a realtor in San Francisco and we, we email each other every once in a while. But, uh, but I'm a Davidbergman.net and i'm pretty easy to find if you google me i show up on you yeah know, you show you
0: would show up really quick on facebook it's david bergman photo
1: david bergman photo on facebook twitter and instagram david are bergman. the same yep just david bergman just on david twitter bergman and,
0: and then yep. i'm going to throw up on screen over you right now if people are interested there's the link for workshops which is shootfromthepit.com and also the yep. 2 minute tips one as well I can't say thank you enough. This has been an absolute joy. I'm so glad you came by. And, and I'm hoping that someday, because I do live music photography, I kind of almost try to avoid it on the show f- doing it too often because I don't want people to think I'm going, you know, oh, it's a live music photography podcast. It's really general photography. But I would love to have you on to talk about one of your, your Bon Jovi shots at some point in time.
1: I would, I would love to do it. I mean, Steve, you've got one of the best radio voices I've ever heard. So I could just listen, listen to you talk all day long. Thank so you very that's, much. That's
0: 40 awesome. years. In, in fact, uh, the radio station I'm at right now, 31 years next month. Uh, I've I been on radio it. for 40 I years. It. I love it. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Yeah, uh, man. So to everybody, again, make sure that you check out David Bergman. All the website stuff will be on the all his website and social media contacts. Give him some love. Follow him. Uh, check out his workshops. And and I can't stress it enough, seriously. The two minute tips on Adorama TV, really, really go back in the back catalog. Don't just watch the new ones. Go back and watch them. Again, I'm Steve Brazzle, your host. You can find me at my normal website, which is uh, uh, stevebrazzle.com. You can find me at, uh, I think I've got the right one up here. Yeah, stevebrazzle.com and behindtheshot.tv. You can find me on Facebook. It's Steve Brazzle Photography. And then, same as David, Instagram and Twitter are the same. It's just Steve Brazel. Again, thank you for watching. Make sure that you subscribe. If you are going to subscribe to Behind the Shot and you search for it in your podcast catching app, be sure to grab the new feeds. There's both an audio and video and it mentions my name. The old network feed is in there, but it won't get any new shows. So make sure you grab the right one. Other than that, thanks again for watching. This is Behind the Shot. We'll see you next time.